You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome to the Evan Roberts Podcast. I haven't been on in a while, mainly because it was a holiday, and I went away to North Carolina with my wife and son, and I don't know, I don't think I could have sold it on, excuse me, while I record a podcast about professional wrestling, or let me record a podcast about the Nets, but there was Nets involved on my trip, which I'll get to a little bit later on, but right now I'm driving home from Barclays Center where the Brooklyn Nets defeated the New Orleans Pelicans, almost a wire-to-wire victory. I'm not sure if it was 100% wire-to-wire, but it was one of those games where, for the majority of it, you felt good. You felt pretty comfortable. They built a huge lead at the end of the first quarter. They built a big lead at the end of the first half. They maintained that lead pretty well throughout the third quarter. It got interesting in the fourth quarter of this game when the Pelicans at one point cut it to about seven with five minutes to go. I thought Joe Harris had a bunch of big buckets at the basket. I thought earlier on, this may have been the third quarter of the game, New Orleans had pulled within 11. And at this point, the clock was not a factor. It was still, I think, in the third quarter. And Jared Allen, and say what you want about Jared Allen's year, like the night he had in Charlotte uh, a few days ago, was miserable. He had like five turnovers, fouls. It was just an ugly, ugly effort. And we've also seen Jared Allen not play big minutes down the stretch of games. But Jared Allen has given you a block against an elite player basically throughout the year. Obviously, the one against LeBron got all the attention, but he had a big block against Giannis Antetokounmpo over the weekend in Milwaukee. He had a block against Blake Griffin earlier this year. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. He may have had one against Kemba Walker during one of the two Charlotte games. And in this game, as I drive home on Wednesday night against the Pelicans, he had not only a big block against Anthony Davis, and the Nets had a few of them, including one by Rody. except Rody's block got ruined immediately because Damare Carroll almost clotheslined. It was either Drew Holiday or it was, um, oh my God, the name is escaping me. Dude who used to have the crazy hair. Uh, and then he caught it, which is nice. But, so they blocked Anthony Davis. I think they blocked Anthony Davis a couple of times in this game, at least two or three times. But the Jared Allen block up 11 was huge because I think on the ensuing play, Joe Harris hit a three, which gave them a cushion. So for the most part, every time, Alfred Payton, there you go, just popped back into my head. And you know I couldn't have looked it up because I'm driving over the Kashiashko Bridge right now as I leave Barclays Center. And I'm hitting no traffic, which is great. And I'm going to get to the, uh, the mood in the arena tonight, which I noticed a couple of differences. But I thought that sequence where Allen blocks Anthony Davis it leads to a transition, Joe Harris three. And yeah, in the final five to six minutes, it did get interesting. It got close. 
I thought at times Spencer Dinwiddie dominated the basketball way too much, and I thought their offense in the final five minutes got very stagnant, almost as if they were doing what I was doing, which is staring at the clock, hoping it would hit zero and the game would end. So they didn't get a lot of good shots late. But you know what? They held on. Beggars can't be choosers. We all remember how awful that loss was in New Orleans earlier this year. And yeah, at times you, you got a little nervous, but it was a good victory over a team that you should beat at home. And the way I look at this game against the Pelicans going in, especially with the amount of road games they have coming up, including this three-game road trip, which starts on Friday night in Memphis, these are the kind of games you have to win. I'm not saying the Pelicans are the Atlanta Hawks at home or the Bulls at home or the Knicks at home, but New Orleans has obviously had a down year. They're going to have to make some kind of change because they've got to be worried Anthony Davis is going to walk out that door. They have to be worried about that. You know, bringing in Julius Randle, bringing in Alfred Payton, it hasn't made that big of a difference. Payton missed a lot of time, in fairness. I think he's only played six or seven games. Randle's had a very good year statistically. They are in a very difficult Western Conference, but they're, what are they, 17 and 22 now? And in that conference, uh, right now, it's tough to think they're going to be a playoff team. But this is the kind of win you have to have if your vision is this team being a playoff team. And, you know, I've said this many times about the Mets, about the Yankees, and certainly about the Nets. When you have a big winning streak, which is great, and obviously the Nets had a big one, which was snapped against the Pacers uh, a couple weeks ago, it's about what you do after the winning streak ends. That's what it's about. And to the Nets' credit, they've been able to respond to that winning streak ending. They lose that game to Indiana, and they won a couple of games, including that crazy game against the Hornets in Brooklyn in which they almost blew it, should have lost, almost won. I mean, it was just an insane, insane game. Everything about that game was crazy. Damari Carroll gets fouled on a prayer with the Nets not having a timeout left. He goes to the line, makes the first to tie it, misses the second, lane violation, misses the second again. The game goes to overtime. I mean, everything about that game was crazy, but it was a great win. The fact they were able to get the win, I don't care how, was a great, great win. They were down eight in the final four minutes. They came back. We mentioned the whole Carroll situation, and there were so many other things I'm forgetting about this game because the, the clock mishap. I thought, and I was arguing with a friend of mine on Twitter about this, the clock mishap at the end of the Charlotte game, I thought was going to hurt the Nets. He was arguing, and he's just a bitter Nick fan bitch, but he's arguing, oh, that helped the Nets because, you know, Kemba's going to put up a three. He's got a good shot at it. Instead, the Nets get to set their defense. Give me a break. Kemba Walker was throwing up a prayer without that gift of the clock not working. And instead, forget the Nets getting to set their defense. The Hornets had a chance to set their offense and inbound the basketball and at least get some type of look at the basket. It wasn't a great look, but they weren't going to get a great look anyway. But that was a, oh my God, I can't believe they actually won that game kind of game because that's the kind of game they've been losing the last few years. And, you know, I made the trip to Charlotte. I was in North Carolina visiting my brother-in-law and his family, and it was a trip. Don't get me wrong. And by the way, I just want to point something out. If you listen to the last Driving Home from Barkley Center podcast, you remember that I missed my exit. I just correctly concentrated enough to make my exit right now. So I'm very happy about that. And it's not, I'm not adding five minutes to my commute, which is great. But anyhow, we did make the trip to Charlotte. 
So while I wasn't going to try to record a podcast while away, I was able to convince my wife, hey, do you want to drive two and a half hours from close to Raleigh to Charlotte to see Nets Hornets? And she's like, yeah, why not? Let's check it out. We got a nice restaurant. I forget what the restaurant's name is. I would give it a nice plug if anybody's in the city of Charlotte. And it was actually a nice time. I was surprised that there were as many net fans there as there were. Now, I'm not implying that you could hear them through the television or through the radio. You couldn't. But walking through that arena, there were a couple of net fans. In fact, at one point, I was going to the bathroom at the P right before the game. And this guy looks around at the guy in front of me who's wearing a net jersey and says, oh, wow, look, a net fan. And I jumped in and said, actually, it's two against one. That story really has nothing to it. So I even apologize for wasting uh, everybody's time with that story. It had no ending. This story had an ending. And I think you'll appreciate this. So I'm sitting behind the basket. And behind me is the guy, I'm not even kidding, the guy sitting behind me played Sly for a bunch of years. Remember Sly, the mascot in New Jersey, Sly Cat, or Sly Fox was his name. So the guy behind me played Sly for many, many years. Okay, fine. You know, nice guy. That's great. No big deal. As the game is ending and the Hornets beat the Nets in what was basically a wire-to-wire loss, the Charlotte Hornet mascot, whatever he is, the Hornet, comes over to Sly and I, I could hear this because I'm sitting right in front of him. Puts his arm around Sly and says, I just want to tell you, you're my hero. You're an inspiration. <laughs> and I don't know why I find that so funny. I mean, I'm sure he is his inspiration. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure he is. But, I don't know, the mascot love kind of made me laugh. But they got a nice arena up there. My, my only other visit to Charlotte, North Carolina was game four of the Eastern Conference semifinals in 2002. And if you remember, that was the series where Jason Kidd got beat up in the the face, had to wear a mask. That was the series the Nets won in five and advanced them to the Eastern Conference finals for the first time in their NBA history. And it was also, you ready for this? The final Charlotte Hornets game of that incarnation of the Hornets, the current New Orleans Pelicans which I guess brings everything full circle to this win against the Pelicans. And what I remember about that arena is it was big, it was empty, even for a playoff game, and it was in the middle of nowhere. It was off the highway. This arena they have now, the Spectrum, as they call it, the Spectrum Center or Spectrum Arena, whatever it's called, very nice arena. It's in the middle of the city. It's right near the football stadium. There's a lot of restaurants And there was a really good atmosphere in the building. Now, I brought that up to a fellow Net fan friend of mine, uh, Mike Biseglia, who produces Taz and Moose on the CBS Sports Network. He's been on this podcast before. And I made that comment to him. I said, you know, there was a really good juice in the arena. And his response was, was it really a lot of noise or are you just comparing it to to Net fans? (laughs) And it's a very, very fair question. Because as we know, even if you're a Net fan listening, uh, Barclays Center, the IZOD Center, the Prudential Center has never been known for its noise. The arenas have been quite quiet. I think we'd be the first to admit it. So I think it was a combination of both. It was also a, a giveaway night. They gave away a Steve Martin bobblehead, which I thought exactly what you're thinking right now. Why are they honoring Steve Martin? 
funny guy and all, but why are they honoring him? What I did not realize is Steve Martin is also their longtime broadcaster. And so they gave away these bobbleheads of Steve Martin, and it's a talking bobblehead, which is pretty impressive. And it leads me to think that the New York Metropolitan Baseball team, the New York Yankees, the Brooklyn Nets as well, they should give away talking bobbleheads. I mean, I would totally want an Iron Eagle. It's a throwdown from the fro. And I'm sure Yankee fans would love a talking head bobblehead of, it is high, you know, that whole thing. And for Howie, a put it in the books. So I give the Hornets credit. I think they had a very good idea. I think the Mets should go with it. I think the Yankees should go with it. I think the Nets should go with it. Uh, I think all three organizations have announcers that are commodities, that are, for the most part, loved by their fan base. Ian Eagle with the Nets, John Sterling with the Yankees, Howie Rose with the Mets. That's my opinion. That's what they should do. As far as the arena tonight is concerned, you know, I've noticed this over the last few weeks, and I really can't make heads and tails about it, but I have this weird interest to check out the secondary market for sporting events, not to buy tickets, not even necessarily to sell tickets, but just out of morbid curiosity. The net secondary market has been very hot over the last few weeks. And I haven't really been able to make sense of it because they're not selling the arena out. So if you're not selling the arena out, why is the get-in price for a Nets game $55? Not too long ago, even during the Garnett, Pierce, Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, you know, high hope Brooklyn Nets, the get-in price to come into Barclays Center was not a lot. It was usually 10 bucks, 15 bucks, something very reasonable. The get-in price tonight against the Pelicans was over $50. Now, you could argue, oh, Evan, come on, it's to see Anthony Davis. The reason why I don't buy that is I was in the arena, there were very few, if any, Anthony Davis or Pelican fans, which is unusual because one you know, negative thing about Barclays Center is that the Nets play against opponents that tend to have a lot of fans in this building. And it's not just your traditional you know, LA Lakers, New York Knicks kind of thing. Almost everybody. You know, when they were playing the Indiana Pacers a couple of weeks ago when the winning streak ended, there were a lot of Pacer fans in the building. Anthony Davis is a star player. He's a marketable player. So I thought coming into the arena, especially seeing the lines to get in tonight, that, well, first, are they going to sell out? And B, boy, there must be a lot of Pelican fans. I'm not going to tell you that Barclays was rocking tonight. I don't think it was. I think it was better. I think the atmosphere is getting better around here. From what I've heard, I was not at the Nets-Hornets home game. I was at the Nets-Hornets road game. But I did hear from a few that the atmosphere was great at Barclays that night. You had a great game, which I think certainly helped. Uh, I thought tonight was okay. I thought it was okay. You know, it was all right. It's still not, you know, where you want it to be. But there were no Pelican fans here. So why is the secondary market doing as well as it's doing? And, you know, a part of me wants to read into the way they're playing and say, well, maybe there's legitimate excitement about this team. But more times than not, they're not selling the place out. Tonight, and I don't know if tonight was a sellout, but tonight was as close to a sellout as you'll see for a non-Laker, non-Nick, non-Marquee matchup kind of game. And that's good to see. And, you know, the one thing about this franchise, they're never going to be as popular as the Knicks. And I don't think there'll ever be even a Met-Yankee comparison between the Nets and Knicks or a Jet-Giant comparison. But 
they can build a fan base. They can build a much stronger fan base than they had in New Jersey, and they can certainly build a bigger fan base than what they've had so far in Brooklyn. And I've always thought that, sure, winning helps, but building a team this way with guys that you're watching improve and watching get better, that's going to be the real key. You know, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and Darren Williams and Joe Johnson, they were mercenaries. Brooke Lopez, while a guy you built, was a guy you built from Jersey. So for the new Brooklyn fan, for those who are from Brooklyn that are, you know, identifying with the Nets more about the borough than their history, Brooke Lopez is a guy that came along with the ride, you know, came along with Jersey. So I do think that maybe there is something to this, the fact that this team is being built right in front of your eyes. But I have noticed that. But I do think it was a good atmosphere tonight. And I thought this was a very good win, not just because of the three difficult games they have coming up on the road, but because, again, if you're going to make the playoffs, these are the kinds of games you're going to have to win, and you're going to have to build some kind of home court advantage. When they were losing a lot of games during the eight-game losing streak, a lot of them were coming in this building. They were losing a lot of bad games in this building. And one of the improvements I'm seeing is that they're holding on more. They're closing out games better. You know, you look at the two losses they had to Charlotte and Milwaukee. And they were games in which they, it wasn't about them closing out. They just got beat. You know, in the Hornet game, I thought Borrego, the Hornets coach, made great adjustments against Spencer Dinwiddie. They basically took him out of the game. Nobody but D'Angelo Russell could hit shots in that game. Jared Allen was a mess. Kemba Walker was back to being Kemba Walker. And it was just a really well-coached, good victory for Charlotte. The Milwaukee game was a dead man walking game. You know, they made the decision to sit D'Angelo Russell for rest, which I kind of have a problem with. You know, the Nets were going to have three days off. They weren't going to play for three days. Do you really need to give D'Angelo Russell a rest game? And I don't want to hear you losing the game anyway. This is the NBA. I don't think you should ever just give a game a game away. And it was a weird game because... They're getting their asses kicked. They got off to a quick start in that game, but eventually the Bucks started cruising. Brooke Lopez hit threes all over the place, which is incredibly obnoxious. And then their bench with Kenneth Fareed and Shabazz Napier, who is now a part of the rotation, which I'll get to in a minute, uh, and the two-way guy, who I, the name is escaping me right now. They were the guys who led them back. They got into within seven with about four minutes to go. You never thought they're coming back and winning. You never thought that was happening, but you know, it was weird to see. It was weird to see Kenneth Fareed even playing, let alone contributing. But those two losses are understandable losses. Losses that you say, okay, fine. Now bounce back. I look at these three games coming up at Memphis, um, at Chicago, and at Boston. Those are the three games. You know, coming into the Pelican game, I thought it was win two of the four. They've got one. Now you start to say, give me two of the three on the road. But realistically, if you can get one of them in these three games, you'll win the game at home against Atlanta. So you're two and two over the next four. You got this one against New Orleans. You feel like they're stabilizing things because the eight-game losing streak was out of whack. The seven-game winning streak wasn't going to last. That they've responded to the winning streak ending by playing solid basketball, and that's what you—that's what you're asking for. And they're obviously doing it with, without key pieces. Now, I don't even include Karis LeVert at this point. He's been out for a while. Uh, I'm almost forgetting about Alan Crabb at this point. The key guy that they're missing now is Rondé, and the Nets are very secretive about injuries. Sometimes they'll surprise you, and guys will be back sooner than normal. 
other times, like the Salmon Crab situation, where all of a sudden on Wednesday they announced, yeah, he needs more rest and he'll be reevaluated. God knows when we're going to see him again. And the biggest problem with Alan Crabb now playing is I was hoping he'd play and they could trade his ass. I know that was unrealistic. It was probably never realistic that they'd be able to trade Alan Crabb in that contract. But you'd hope he'd be healthy enough to at least add some value. With Rondé out, that's the bigger impact. Because Rondé Hollis-Jefferson has played very well recently, especially defensively. They insert Dudley back into the starting lineup, but Shabazz Napier is getting the... He is the guy now who really takes over the Rondé minutes. I mean, Dudley will get more minutes. Rody will probably get more minutes as he continues to be their starting small forward. But Shabazz is the guy who really benefits from it, not even Kenneth Fareed. And even though Fareed played well on Saturday against Milwaukee, does it surprise anybody that Kenny Atkinson stuck his butt back on the bench? He is a buyout or trade deadline guy waiting to happen. He clearly does not have a role on this team. The only way he's going to have a role on this team is if this team suffers more injuries. Because even after that performance against the Bucs, he didn't get any burn against the Pelicans. But you need guys to step up, and Napier has. I'm still surprised with how Atkinson uses Russell late in games. D'Angelo Russell was great tonight. You know, we mentioned Joe Harris. He had a big performance but D'Angelo was fantastic. His vision, again, was incredible. How many great passes did he have in this game finding Jared Allen? He hit his shot, and yet Atkinson's usage of him in the fourth quarter of games is very untrusting. He did go back to him. We didn't see him completely benched, but we saw him pull late in, game, late in this game for defense for Shabazz. He just does not trust Russell late in games. That's what it comes down to. He doesn't trust the guy. And I think the common theme that we're all going to have is, what does this mean about Russell's future? Now, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is something where Marks and Atkinson are not on the same page. Maybe Marks would want Russell to play, you know, more of these key minutes down the stretch. But every game, you've got to keep an eye. Every close game, even this game against New Orleans, you keep an eye on how he handles Russell late in games. Because clearly there's a lack of trust. And by the way, anyone else ticked off at Damare Carroll? What are you doing? I think it was Randall. What are you doing fouling Julius Randall after that Anthony Davis miss? You're up by, I think it was six at that point, seven at that point, whatever it was. You cannot be giving these late, dumb fouls. And what kills me is when it happens from guys like Damari Carroll or Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, like the Memphis game. And speaking of Memphis, because that's their next game, let the revenge tour continue. Because of all the bad losses the Nets had during the eight-game losing streak, of all the bad losses they've had this season, two of them that jump out at me. And I'm not saying these are the only two, because they've had plenty. The two that jump out at me, the Pelican game earlier in the year, and that was before the collapse, obviously. LeVert was still healthy at that point. But the way they lost that game was bad, and the Memphis game. The Memphis game may have been the worst of all of those losses during the eight-game losing streak. So how about they pay back, a little payback, for the Memphis Grizzlies coming up on Friday night. And by the way, Am I the only one paying attention every single night to what 
Charlotte does, to what Orlando does, to what Miami does, to what Detroit does. I'm paying attention because I want to make the freaking playoffs. Now, one last thing. I want to touch on uh, Stefan Bondi's blurb about the Nets and Kristaps Porzingis. Now, look, I don't doubt for a second that Sean Marks, like many executives in the NBA, like Kristaps Porzingis, he's an incredibly talented basketball player. We all know that. The idea of giving Porzingis an offer sheet, there's a couple of big factors here. Would Porzingis be a great fit for the Nets? Of course. If he's healthy, he'd be fantastic. He'd be a great fit for everybody, but especially with the way the Nets are being built, he'd be the exact stretch for that Kenny Atkinson wants, Kenny Atkinson needs. The only way putting together, and it will be a failed offer sheet, let's be honest, the Knicks, when push comes to shove, if Porzingis ever signed an offer sheet with the Nets, would absolutely have to match it. At the end of the day, they would. So any illusion, any dream of the Nets somehow swooping in and sealing Chris Stops is unrealistic. But there's no doubt it could damage the Knicks. But the only way it makes sense is if you know if you're Sean Marks, you're out on Kawhi, you're out on the, you're out on all the elite players, maybe not Tobias Harris, because I think ultimately Tobias Harris is going to be the guy they end up with. I think he's a realistic target. And we could argue all day if he should be the guy, if they should settle for Tobias. He's a real good player. I think he's a real underrated player. We see the success the Clippers are having this year. He fits this team incredibly well. He's a good dude from everything I hear. He's a local guy. He's still relatively young. If I had to predict out seven months, I'd say Tobias Harris is the guy they end up with. But when you get the 100% confirmation that the elite players are not coming here, led by Kawhi, because Kawhi is the guy I'd want. Above anybody else, Kawhi Leonard would be my number one target. If you get that hint and you know you're out on these elite free agents, then fine, you could put together a disastrous offer sheet for the Knicks to match. It could screw the Knicks up big time. I'm sure the Knicks are going to want, this is what Bondi pointed out, I get it, that the Knicks are going to want a Joel Embiid-like contract for Kristaps. Injury protections in that contract makes complete sense. The Nets could tie up their cap space for 48 hours or whatever it is. Uh, They can put together a contract that is not ideal. I'm sure the Knicks would like a different kind of contract for Porzingis to sign. So keep this in mind. The idea of giving a max offer sheet to Porzingis will do more damage to the Knicks than it would ever benefit the Nets because they're not going to let Porzingis come here. It's not going to happen. And I also don't think that they'll ever agree to a sign and trade. If Porzingis signed an offer sheet with the LA Clippers and they got the hint, boy, this guy really wants out, this is a bad contract, would they potentially negotiate a sign and trade with the Clippers? Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see that, but it is not happening with the Brooklyn Nets. So let's just all keep this in mind. And this is why, as intriguing as it is, the reality is... Any offer sheet to Kristaps Porzingis is an incredible troll job by Sean Marks. And I know there's a lot of Net fans out there, and you could argue I'm one of them. Maybe I am. Maybe I am one of them that would love to troll and try to screw up the Knicks situation. But the number one priority during this offseason, 
whether it is the fantasy of Kawhi Leonard or it's the more realistic probability of a guy like Tobias Harris, it's about the Nets. And it's about what they can do to take this team to the next level. They have developed a lot of really solid pieces. They don't have that elite player. We could fantasize about Karis LeVert or D'Angelo Russell or Spencer Dinwiddie becoming that elite player. The odds are they're not. They're good players, no doubt. I love the Dinwiddie contract. I'm glad he's going to be here. But the idea they're going to be Kawhi or Kevin Durant is obviously unlikely. But the priority has to be the Nets more than anything else. Anyhow, that has been another edition of the Evan Roberts Driving Home from Barclays Center podcast. Thank you very much for listening. A few podcasts on the way. We will be doing a Royal Rumble preview and the Royal Rumble retrospective. So there'll be a couple of Royal Rumble podcasts. There will be some more instant reactions, probably to the New York Jets coaching hire, probably to the Manny Machado decision whenever it occurs. So keep it right here to the Evan Roberts podcast. Of course, check out Joe and I. Joe and me, whatever the correct grammar is, Beningo and Roberts, whatever the hell you want to call it, as we begin our 13th year on the Midday Show, 10 to 1 on the fan. Thank you very much for listening to the Evan Roberts Podcast. Goodbye.